keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic drive time. And welcome to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. Today is Tuesday, September 26th, 2023. A feast of St. Marie Teresa Corder. I can't say French names. I'm just going to go with, with Saint Marie. That'll be much easier instead of butchering French names again. I and no matter I can mispronounce any name: German, Polish, Spanish, whatever it is. The only time people get upset with me is when I mispronounce French names. Uh, she was born on February 1st, 1805, in La Le Mans, France, to Claude Michael Corday and Anne Marie. She was the fourth of 12, 12 children in her family. I believe it was three of them passed away, though, in childhood. In 1822, her parents sent her to a boarding school at Vannes, and later in 1825, she entered the novitiate after meeting Father Jean-Pierre and expressing her desire to become a religious. She underwent her novitiate in 1825 with the Sisters of St. Regis, a teaching order, and she made perpetual vows in 1837. She became the co-founder of the Sisters of the Cynical in 1826 with Father Terme, who was also one of the founders. The order was established to provide women with a place of recollection in solitude, prayer, and meditation. During the time, they were had a special emphasis on trying to make sure that the people had an emphasis on the, the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola. She became the superior of the Cynical, and the order's mission included conducting retreats for women. Now, due to financial hardships faced by the sisters, especially after separating the regular school from the retreats, the, the St. Marie accepted responsibility for the situation, despite the fact that she was not, in fact, responsible. In October of 1838, she was removed from her office by the bishop, and after resigning from her position, she was assigned to various locations, including in Lyon, and she continued to her religious life and service despite the challenges. In the beginning of 1885, she experienced a period of unconsciousness and remained bedridden until her death in 1885, in the September of 1885. She is well known for her sanctity in regards to her spiritual writings, writing extensively about detachment and goodness. And it's a very beautiful meditation that are definitely worth reading. And she was... Uh, she was beatified by Pope Pius XII after confirming two miracles, and she is someone that we should look to as someone who can bear patiently the wrongs that, that came upon her. When it was removed from her office, was accused of financial mismanagement, and accepted the calumnies against her, and she accepted it all as God's will that she suffer for souls. St. Marie Teresa, pray for us. Happy Tuesday to you. Praise be to God. You're already on the second day of the week. Can you believe it? We're already uh, kicking and we're already heading down the path. Um, Brent Haynes is joining us this morning, filling in for Rudy Carlos. Good morning to you, Brent. Good morning, Adrian. Good morning. Oh, you got to turn your mic on there and hit that on button. Uh, so, oh, maybe it is on. Is, uh, is that on there? That's Let's what it see. says. There it goes. There it goes. It must have had your volume down. Uh, but praise be to God, Brent. It's good to have you on. I'm glad to be here. Now, Brent is uh, the... You had, uh, you had a really traumatic experience yesterday, I heard. Are you doing okay? I'm doing okay. You're doing okay? I'm doing all they, right. Uh, it's, it's a lot of dental problems recently. I had, a, had to go to the dentist and get my wisdom teeth out. Uh, Rudy's had going to the dentist. Uh, David said that he needs to go to the dentist. And then you come in and you're like, man, 
I got some dental problems. And I'm like, what's with everybody having dental problems recently? I tell all the young people that tell me they want to go to law school, they should become veterinarians or dentists. And make more money and then uh, less uh, less paperwork? Le- oh, actually, literally true less paperwork because they don't have to deal with insurance companies the way doctors do. In, the, in doctors, the medical practice in the United States is run entirely by insurance companies and what are called you know insurance codes. If you can't get the doctor to get the insurance company to approve the right medical code, they won't pay for that treatment. You won't get that treatment. I think you're familiar with that. Yep. Mm-hmm. But you become a vet, people will bring you their money in wheelbarrows. I am resisting the urge to go on a tangent about insurance companies right now. I Because hear you. I despise I hear you. insurance companies with a passion, but, you know, it is what it is. Um, nonetheless, oh, man, I'm trying not to. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Maybe maybe later, maybe in the after show, I'll rant about uh, insurance companies. Uh, but praise be to God, I'm glad you're doing okay. We'll reserve that for the after show. Yeah, we'll reserve it for later. If you'd like to join us in the after show. Uh, people were telling me, they're like, Adrian, I didn't realize that the whole show was streamed online. I thought only the after show was online. No, in fact, if you'd like to come and see our very beautiful, smiling faces, at least some of us are more beautiful than others. Like Brent over here. He's a no, very handsome I, young man, uh, unlike myself. But the <laughs> Wrong on both counts. <laughs> Not young either. <laughs> if you'd like to join us and see our smiling faces, you can hop on YouTube, Facebook, Rumble, uh, hopefully Twitter, and you can join us there. Leave a comment down below. We'd love to know what you're thinking and what is going on in your world. I'd love to know your input. At 15 past the hour, we're going to talk about Gavin Newsom. He says that his kids are part of a micro cult. That's interesting. So we're going to talk about that at 15 past the hour. At 30 past the hour, Kim Schwartz with Texas Right to Life will be on to talk about the Trump abortion position. I this was a this kind of made headway for a while. And she we're also we'll try to if we have time talk about the the Face Act and that whole situation. Very interesting the potential there. Uh, in the next hour, Adam Bly will be joining us. He's a religious demonologist, uh, a church-approved paratus. And so he will be on with us to talk about uh, the spiritual world. He has a show every Saturday, 10 a.m. Central, called The Spirit World. So we're going to talk about that coming up in the next hour, plus the Fear and Trembling game show where prizes are, in fact, involved. And so if you'd like to join us for that, we'd love to have you. But let's begin with prayer. We're going to be praying for your intentions, whatever it is that you have going on in your life. We pray for the salvation of souls, the liberty and exaltation of Holy Mother Church, for our friends, family, and benefactors, and all those that we promise to pray for, for the end of the scourge of abortion. And we pray especially, I'd ask for your prayers, for the healing of my grandfather, uh, that he be healed of his cancer, for Emily Esserman, that she be healed of her liver, and for everybody suffering from dental problems. Uh, St. Apollonia, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, Amen. O Blessed Virgin Mary, Immaculate Mother of God, who didst endure a martyrdom of love and grief, beholding the sufferings and sorrows of Jesus, thou didst cooperate in the benefit of my redemption by thy innumerable afflictions, and by offering to the Eternal Father his only begotten Son, as a holocaust and victim of propitiation for my sins. I thank thee for the unspeakable love which led thee to deprive thyself of the fruit of thy womb, Jesus, true God and true man, to save me a sinner." Oh, make use of the unfailing intercession of the sorrow which with the Father and the Son that I may steadfastly amend my life and never again crucify my loving Redeemer by new sins. Arid that, persevering till death in his grace, I may obtain eternal life through the merits of his cross and passion. Mother of love, of sorrow, and of mercy, pray 
for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. And now, your headline news with Brent Haynes. I am Brent Haynes, and this is your news. Welcome to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. Alabama governor tells atheists complaining about Auburn University baptisms to back off, according to the Washington Times. On August 12th, an Auburn University evangelical worship service culminated in approximately 200 students being baptized in a small lake on campus. Auburn's football, basketball, and baseball coaches participated in the baptisms. The Freedom From Religion Foundation sent a warning letter to Auburn because of the coaches' participation in the baptisms. Alabama Governor Kay Ivey wrote back, We will not be intimidated by out-of-state interest groups dedicated to destroying our nation's religious heritage. She also asked the atheist group to please understand that our state motto is, We dare defend our rights. The National Catholic Register reports that thousands of Armenian Christians have fled their ancestral homeland in the region of Nagorno-Karabakh in fear of the Muslim Azerbaijani government, which launched a military strike against the Christians on September 19th. Nagorno-Karabakh had been a self-governing Christian enclave in Azerbaijan. Even though the Christians laid down their arms, Armenian Prime Minister Nikol Pashinyan said he expects most of the 120,000 ethnic Armenians in Nagorno-Karabakh to flee the region due to the danger of ethnic cleansing, according to Al Jazeera. A U.S.-based human rights advocate who has been speaking to witnesses on the ground told CNA the mass exodus has begun. A British teenager has died after a court blocked her from seeking treatment. A 19-year-old Christian woman in England has died after a court prevented her from seeking experimental treatment abroad, according to Christian Concern, an evangelical group based in London. Sudiksha Therumalesh was conscious, able to communicate with her attorneys, and fought a six-month legal battle against Britain's National Health Service to be allowed to seek experimental treatment in Canada. A court of protection issued an order that barred Sudiksha and her family from raising funds to travel to Canada to join a clinical trial of cutting-edge treatment for her rare disease. The court of protection ruled that Sudiksha did not have the mental capacity to make such decisions after the NHS lawyers argued she was delusional for disagreeing with the hospital's view that her condition was hopeless and that she had to be put on end-of-life care. The ruling was made despite two psychiatrists providing evidence that Sudiksha was competent to make her own decisions about her medical care. President Biden is traveling to Michigan in Michigan today to show solidarity with striking United Auto Workers. Former President Donald Trump is scheduled to visit Wednesday instead of participating in the second Republican presidential debate. Trump has, Trump has derided Biden for deciding to visit the auto workers only after Trump announced his own plans to visit. The strike is entering its 12th day, with the UAW having expanded the strike to 38 locations in 20 states. That's the news at 11 past the hour. And now for the good news. Back to Adrian.
Thank you, Brent. The gospel of the day comes from Luke chapter 8, verses 19 through 21. You know, recently there's been a lot of the gospel today has been like three verses long. I kind of like it. It gives more time to cover things in depth. And verse 19 here, it says, And his mother and brethren came unto him, and they could not come at him for the crowd. Now, here many people will say, See, our Lord had brothers. He had siblings. Uh, but what does Cornelius Alapide said? He says, while he was speaking yet, the multitude beheld his mother. You ask, who were those who in the Gospels are called the brethren of Christ? The impure hierarch, like Helvidius, answered that they were children of the Blessed Virgin, who were born after Christ, for he denied her perpetual virginity. But St. Jerome sharply and learnedly refutes him in the work which he wrote against him. Now, notice here, one thing that I'd like to point out is the fact that St. Jerome sharply refutes him. Because it is not simply enough whenever blasphemy is done that we should just allow it to happen and try to correct it and be all nice about it. But whenever there is something that is offensive to Almighty God, we have to speak out against it wholeheartedly. Now, the Greeks generally with Eusebius and the Latin St. Hilary and Ambrose, they think that they were children of St. Joseph from a former marriage. However... Joseph never had any other wife except the Blessed Virgin. Peter Damien says as much in his faith of the church. Now, Hugh of St. Victor thinks that they were descendants of St. Anne, the mother of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And that St. Anne, besides Joachim, the father of the Virgin, had two other husbands, of whom they were called the Lord's brethren, were begotten. But St. Hippolytus teaches that St. Anne had only one husband, St. Joachim. He says, Cornelius Lapide says, I say, therefore, that these persons were not properly the brethren of Christ, nor the offspring of the Blessed Virgin, nor St. Joseph, nor St. Anne, but are called the brethren, i.e., cousins or relations of Christ, by a mode of expression that is common in Hebrew. In sooth, they were cousins or really brothers of St. Joachim or St. Anne, or rather brothers' children or sisters' children of St. Joachim and Anne, uh, probably the children of Clophus, who was a brother of Joseph. So this is very important to keep in mind that there was a diversity of opinions of who the brethren of Christ were, even from the earliest days. But nobody thought that it was the children of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Only the heretics believed as such. Now, he says, who is my mother and brother? He says and in verse 21, my mother and my brethren are they who hear the word of God and do it. Now, many people see this as a rebuke of the Blessed Virgin, but this is simply not the case because he's saying that it is, in fact, those who keep the word of God, who bring people to himself, are more their mother than someone who would give birth to him. But what does Our Lady do? She directs all people to her, to him, rather. He, she directs all people to him. And therefore, he's saying she is great, not just because she's my mom, but also because of her intercessory power. So let's keep that in mind when we hear this passage. We'll be right back with more right after this. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Psalm 1, verse 1 says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. What does that mean? Don't hang around with bad people? No, according to G.K. Chesterton, it means something much better than that. He says that there are certain people who, because they are really pure, create a good atmosphere around themselves. They are truly children of light, and the light shines on everything they touch. When a righteous person stakes out a clear position, 
we recognize that it's something solid and vital and eternal. So it's not that hanging around bad people makes us bad, it's that being righteous can help make the people hanging around us righteous too. Want more than a minute? Chesterton.org Hey Donnie, what are the two most important things we receive at Mass? Daddy Christmas scripture. That's right. All right, one more. Who loves you the most? Jesus. That's right. Mary. That's right. <laughs> they love us too. If you don't educate your children in the faith, who will? Educate yourself and your family by listening daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network. And make sure to get the GRN app by logging online to grnonline.com. And welcome back to the Catholic Drive Time Show. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. It's so good to be on with you today. Praise be to God. You know, there is a crazy story I saw. I thought it was, it was kind of amusing, to be honest. I, I saw this and I, I kind of chuckled because it just was not what I was expecting to see. There is a story about Gavin Newsom being interviewed, Gavin Newsom being the, the governor of California, he there was a, he was being interviewed about AI and the effects of AI and his use of AI in, in his administration. And he said that, yeah, he actually does have AI help write his speeches and things like that. And I was like, oh, this is interesting, I guess. But then uh, Gavin Newsom just butts into the conversation all of a sudden and changes the topic. And I thought it was kind of funny because I guess this is really weighing on his heart because he out of the abundance of the heart uh, the mouth speaks right and so he he kind of completely changes the topic of AI and here's a quote that he gave I really worry about the misinformation disinformation about what's happening with our country but I really worry about these micro cults that my kids are in I say micro cults because I don't know if there's a better way to describe it my son is asking me about Andrew Tate and Jordan Peterson. And then he is immediately talking about Joe Rogan, end quote. I was reading this. I was like, oh, that's kind of a left turn or I guess a right turn. And I was very, very surprised to, to hear him talk about this because these people calling them a micro cult is very interesting because the I guess you could argue I guess you could argue that the people who follow around Andrew Tate and, and do everything he says and believes, that was kind of a micro cult. And then you kind of have a, a similar attitude with Jordan Peterson where everybody is obsessed with Jordan Peterson, Jordan Peterson fanatics. Uh, you kind of have the same idea with Joe Rogan. But if you're watching all three of them, they kind of have very different ideas. Andrew Tate, Jordan Peterson, Joe Rogan, very, very different ideas. And all of them. I would personally consider more in the libertarian camp. I would not really consider any of those people as conservative, uh, certainly not traditional Catholics, uh, but they are definitely to the right of Gavin Newsom. Um, and there is many problems, and I've spoken out against well, explaining why I have issues with Andrew Tate and Jordan Peterson. Uh, now, Joe Rogan is like a whole, it's a whole other category. He's uh, pro-weed, pro-drugs, incredibly libertarian, and just... Basically, he's do whatever you want. Just don't bother me is his attitude. And the fact that Gavin Newsom's kids are seeing this, it tells a lot about our culture. Is that the conservative, quote unquote, voices are actually breaking through to the mainstream. They're actually breaking into people's feeds. They're actually breaking into that. And so what does that mean? Uh, to me, this, is, this says 
that we need more and more people to create good Catholic content. If you like just oversaturate the market, everybody just oversaturates the market, it's going to be recommended to somebody. These these they need content to try to feed to these people, and so these algorithms will don't really want to promote you, uh, but they got to give you something. They got to give some people something new, and so if we just flood the market with these things, they get in front of people's faces. And the fact that even Gavin Newsom, who is incredibly leftist, he's coming out and trying to uh, shut down laws that say that we just have to tell the parents if your kids are going to transition. I mean, that's a that's a pretty basic rule, right? I mean, and as far as these things go, at the very least, letting the parents know would be a step in the right direction. Uh, obviously, we should just get rid of these things wholly and entirely. But he's even against that. He's even against that idea. And so he's he doesn't want parents to be aware of their kids being transitioned at school. But he is concerned about his kids watching Joe Rogan Andrew Tate and Jordan Peterson and their free time. That's very interesting. It's also interesting to see where the future is going in terms of the children. Because we kind of have this idea that the kids are lost, especially in the public school system. And I'm much of a believer in that. I think that's very much likely the case. But at the same time, these, these kids are actually getting exposed to other ideas as well. And one of the things that kind of surprises me about this is that the statistics that came out recently, we read this on the show maybe a few weeks ago, is that young boys are actually leaning more conservative and young girls are leaning more liberal. And I thought that was a very interesting statistic and I kind of wonder why that might be the case. And it seems to me that in the... I guess you might say the social media sphere, the men in the social media sphere are finally waking up and saying, I am sick and tired of men being denigrated constantly. And they're going to stand up and start speaking about men issues. Whereas the women in the social media sphere are mostly promoting debauchery. Uh, The most famous women in the social media sphere are all promoting really bad things. I, I really can't think of there's only one woman that I can think of in the social media sphere who is talking about these kind of things. And I mean, obviously, there are many people in the Catholic sphere, but that's a very niche circle that doesn't really break into a lot of these other groups, which is why some people get mad at me. And I'm like, oh, you know, Andrew Tate, he says some good things and they get mad at me about that. I'm saying, look, obviously, I would want them listening to Catholic drive time or whatever it is, any Catholic content that would be way better for them but that's not breaking into the public sphere i would love for it to we were trying to do that but certainly it's not the case yet and so is it if you have the choice would you rather your kids be listening to andrew tate or would you rather them be listening to saturday night live I, those are the two options there's the only two options you have which would you rather have have obviously i would say just throw out your phone and don't give your kids access to the internet and that, that would be my position but if that's the situation, which is the case for most kids and most schools in the public sphere, that's just the situation we find ourselves in. I would rather them listen to Jordan Peterson, Andrew Tate, and Joe Rogan more than I would want them listening to the Saturday Night Live show or to 
any number of things, Comedy Central. All these things are absolutely debaucherous and encourage bad behavior. And yes, Andrew Tate does encourage bad behavior, though he seems to be uh, heading in the right direction in terms of uh, saying that he regrets some of the things he did in the past. Uh, Jordan Peterson, he's uh, much better than Andrew Tate, I would say. Uh, but he also has a lot of bad ideas because he's not quite a Christian. So he says a lot of things about the Bible that I'm like, that's uh, not quite right. And then, of course, Joe Rogan, very much more on the left, uh, but much more open to opposing ideas. So he interviews people who are on all sorts of the spectrum. He'll interview a communist and then he'll interview a right winger uh, day after day. So you kind of get exposed to various ideas. Of course, of course, is a situation. But one thing that's interesting about this, the difference between men and women, or the boys and girls, rather, is this movement to being able to talk about men and men issues. And the reason why I say that is because every single time I talk about the problems going on among women, the problems of debauchery, the problems of uh, women not wanting to get married, and things like that, statistically that's just simply the case i always get people upset with me always without fail i'll get emails phone calls uh comments uh, people get very upset with me and for instance i had somebody reach out to me yesterday which was it was very very kind and i really appreciate people reaching out uh, but it kind of was a example of what i meant they said, Adrian, we need family and kids, yes. But please, as you talk about men who look for women who want to be mothers, be sensitive to women who wanted to find a man and could not find a good, godly man. Please pray for women who wanted that. God did not seem to help us. Thanks. And I, my heart goes out to you. And I, and I even mentioned when I was talking about this, like my, my sister wants to get married. Uh, but, you know, it's difficult. It is difficult. But I didn't focus on that because I was talking about men in this context. I've talked about women in the past and their issues and their problems with men. And I talk about extensively. I give uh, one of my favorite talks that I give is about male modesty. But whenever I talk about the opposite, people get upset. And they're like, why don't you, why don't you more, uh, more talk about the, uh, the men issues? Why don't you talk about how hard it is to find a good man? And it's because you can't talk about every issue every time. But, you know, I never get. I never get anybody complain when I talk about the issues going on in the manosphere. If I talk how there is a toxic masculinity, nobody cares. Nobody gets mad. No women get upset. No men get upset. But if I talk about toxic femininity, people lose their minds. They're like, oh, my goodness. And I'm not saying this person lost their mind. It's very, very charitable. And I understand what they're saying. Uh, but it's just an example of any time I bring up those issues, someone will reach out. Someone will reach out about that. And I think that's... And I think it's very interesting that that's the case because they've, we've gone decades where it was taboo to ever talk negatively about a toxic femininity. But every single day in the media, whether it be conservative media, liberal media, Catholic media, all about toxic masculinity, always and everywhere. And they had to correct toxic masculinity, how to fix toxic masculinity, all these things. But nobody ever wanted to touch the femininity issue. Because women get very upset about it. And so people are afraid to bring it up. And so whenever we do, it's inevitable that people get upset. But this is why I think that kids, that the women are leaning more and more to the left. And then the boys are leaning more and more to the right. Because we start talking about these issues and the boys are like, you know what? 
you're right. It's not bad to be a man. It's not bad to be a guy. And these things are not bad. And we see the suicide rates among boys and men are skyrocketing. The rates for suicide for men are way higher than they are for women. Why is that? It's because we denigrate what it means to be a man. And so this is why I focus on this more. And obviously because I'm a man and so I experience that a little bit more. And so I don't know what it's like to be a woman. But I can read statistics. And that's what I do. And see how it looks like there. I talk to people and see their experience. But certainly... Certainly, it is difficult to find a good man. It's certainly difficult to find a good woman in our culture. It's simply the case. I was only talking about yesterday. My point simply was that statistically, men want to get married younger and women don't. And they're saying that by the time, by the 2030, we're going to be having the majority of women or 46% of women are going to be unmarried and childless. Like That's just simply what the statistics are showing us. Whereas the men are saying that they want to get married and they're not finding them. So obviously, they're not talking about any particular case because I could, all of the people I'm friends with personally, none of those people fall in that category. Uh, my friends are mostly uh, good Catholics. And so they fall in categories of they want to get married, they're looking for spouses, and both the men and the women. And it's just difficult. It's difficult to find the person that you are looking for that is going to be someone you want to settle down with and create a family with. And I, my heart goes out to people that are in those situations. Uh, we pray for those people, and through, especially through the intercession of St. Anne. And I think that's very important that we keep in ma- mind. So let's not uh, get upset about these things and recognize that these things are simply, it's simply tr- figuring out what's going on in the culture. And if it doesn't apply to you, then it doesn't apply to you. Uh, I think that's something we got to keep in mind. All right, when we come back, we'll be talking to Kim Schwartz with Texas Right to Life. We're going to talk about... Uh, Trump, uh, is he still pro-life? I don't know. Very interesting. We'll talk about that when we come back. More right after this. Have you heard about life coaching? Hi, this is Coach Felicity with your Stand Tall Today Coaching Minute. Coaching is one of the things Jesus did with his disciples. Whenever they were stuck, overwhelmed, or even struggling a bit, Jesus asked questions that brought clarity and hope. He then used ongoing conversations that helps them to navigate the path and completely change their lives. Just like the disciples, we too can find ourselves feeling stuck, overwhelmed, and struggling a bit. Maybe you need help in your marriage or with a parenting issue, you're navigating a loss, you want to improve your health, or advance your career. At StandTallToday.com, our experienced coaches will help you to take another look at life, renew your hope, get past those challenges, and step into living abundantly. You can find out more about coaching and schedule a free introductory call by visiting us at StandTallToday.com. Listen, life is too short to stay stuck. Contact us at StandTallToday.com. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we're about two hours and ten minutes from landing. Plenty of time for you to pray for vocations to the priesthood. Wouldn't it be great if everyone prayed daily for priestly vocations? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network.
Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is Brent Haynes, your newsman, and these are your headline news stories. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis will debate California Governor Gavin Newsom in a red state, blue state rhetorical duel moderated by Fox News host Sean Hannity. DeSantis is a declared candidate for the Republican nomination for president and has made his name among conservatives by declaring that Florida is where woke goes to die. Newsom, the former mayor of San Francisco and current governor of California, has championed nearly all ultra-liberal causes. Newsom has stated he supports President Biden's re-election, but has been building a national profile for what is expected to be an eventual run for the White House. The 90-minute debate will occur in Georgia and will air on November 30th. North Carolina has enacted universal school choice. Every family in North Carolina will be able to apply for tuition assistance to attend a K-12 private school beginning in 2024-2025. North Carolina becomes the 10th state to enact universal school choice by removing barriers to a state program that provides tuition assistance for students attending private schools. The National Catholic Register reports that Cleveland's Bishop Edward Malisic has become a target because of a directive he issued titled Parish and School Policy on Issues of Sexuality and Gender Identity. The policy restricts the LGBTQ plus expression in the Diocese of Cleveland schools. The diocese schools uh, serve nearly 42,000 students. It directs parishes and schools to affirm the biological sex of all persons. Parents are to be notified with reasonable promptness when students identify as a sex different than they were born, contrary to the policies that have been enacted in many public school districts around the country. The bishop also states that in cases where a teacher fears for parental abuse, they must consult the diocese legal office and the bishop's designated moral theologian. Clothing, bathrooms, pronouns, and sports programs are to be consistent with students' God-given biological sex. That's your news, and now back to Adrian. Uh, thank you very much, Brent. I know I'm excited to see. Uh, I want to see Gavin Newsom and uh, Ron DeSantis debate. I think that'll be fun. Well, it really does highlight the different visions of America. America really is a divided country, and there. There are reasons for the division. I mean, it's not an artificial division. There are people who genuinely believe in certain values on one side, people who genuinely believe in certain values on the other. And these two governors really do exemplify those differences. They are literally on opposite sides of the country. And they are literally on opposite (laughs) sides of the country. Yeah, so praise be to God. I'm I'm actually looking forward to that. I will tune into that because I think it will be very entertaining at the very least. It could could be a preview – Depending on what happens, of course, in 2024 and 2028 is even longer away, uh-huh. it could be a preview of a 2028 presidential election. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if Donald Trump doesn't win the primary, then I think Santos will be will almost certainly be the runner-up, and he will, or he will be the winner rather, and he will be in the um, in the election. So I, it's interesting to keep your eye on what's going on between the two two of them. Uh, But speaking of Donald Trump, uh, Kim Schwartz with Texas Right to Life is joining us. Good morning to you, Kim. Good morning. Happy to be here. Uh, Praise be to God. It's good to have you on. Now, the the story with Donald Trump, I mean, 
It's a, it's a disaster. I'm thinking, okay, Mr. Donald Trump, uh, President Trump, he comes in and he becomes the, the most pro-life president we've ever had, shows up to a national march for life. He puts out uh, the Supreme Court justice that we need in order to uh, overturn Roe v. Wade, uh, many uh, laws across the country from the judges he's appointed. Uh, it's a lot of good effects. But then he comes out against the six-week abortion ban that uh, DeSantis put in place in Florida, and he put out a statement saying pro-lifers had absolutely, quote, zero status on the subject of abortion until I came along. For 52 years, everyone talked but got nothing, end quote. And he goes on from there. What are your thoughts about this? It's been a ride. So it's true that Donald Trump has given us a lot of victories for the pro-life movement since the beginning of his administration. And some of these are things that you expect from a pro-life president, like uh, rescinding the Mexico City policy um, and making sure that taxpayer uh, dollars are not being used to fund abortion in other countries. And then the amazing Supreme Court justices that he nominated, even lower court justices, like we're seeing a lot of these other abortion battles fought on lower levels. And so we see a lot of those uh, judges who are fighting these battles right now being nominees of Donald Trump. So it's true that he has accomplished a lot for the pro-life movement. Uh, the His rhetoric is the uh, questioning part here of what, for, like you said earlier, of uh, the mouth speaks from what the, uh, the heart overflows. Uh, and so we have this issue of does Donald Trump truly believe that unborn children are valuable? And calling the Florida Heartbeat Act a mistake is um, just really bold and um, questionable, obviously, and just horrible because we see the effects of the, this heartbeat legislation, not only in Florida, but even Texas being the first one for a heartbeat act to take effect We've seen that there have been over uh, about 10,000 children born because of this legislation. And I think those 10,000 children, those 10,000 parents would disagree that this legislation is a mistake. And so uh, I can see his point of trying to say, trying to, if if his motivation was to uh, argue that, okay, maybe abortion legislation should be left up to the states and not the federal government, which a lot of people are saying it's not true, but uh, there are a lot of people saying that we should just fight this battle at the states rather than both. We believe that, you know, if there's a moral holocaust here happening, then we need to fight it with every tool that we have, including federal legislation. Um, but people who are just less bold will not say that. And so we have this uh, this divide where some people will draw the line and say we should only fight this at the state level. But Florida's Heartbeat Act was state legislation. And to call that a mistake is basically to just say, let's the pro-life movement should just uh, throw in the towel. We shouldn't do anything past. Uh, he didn't give a number, but his whole um, perspective in that spiel on the uh, TV interview, he was saying that the Florida uh, Heartbeat Act was a mistake and then continued to say that we should try to find uh, work with Democrats and find some number to ban abortion at the federal level, but wouldn't give that number and just trying to say, oh, well, we can have peace on this issue. And that's not really what we're looking for. We're looking for saving lives. And that brings peace true, but peace for the sake of peace of just not uh, arguing with other people about this issue. That's not the point of the pro-life movement. And that's where Donald Trump misses the mark. And I guess that's the question, right? The how he kind of insulted the pro-life movement here, which I'm thinking, 
because at first I immediately was thinking, okay, he's obviously trying to win over some voters that are more left-leaning. That's kind of his goal in this. But then he kind of puts his foot in his mouth even further uh, by saying that, oh, yeah, there's been no uh, victories for 52 years until I came along. And basically uh, putting his foot in his mouth for all the, the entire pro-life movement that's been fighting for years and making small victories all across the country. If he loses, the, do you think that he's going to lose the pro-life vote? There's a good chance of that. Um, that we've seen just different uh, pro-life commentators um, taking different lines on this. Like um, Frank, Frank Pavone from Priest for Life uh, says, you know, Donald Trump, I disagree with his statement here on Florida's Heartbeat Act, but I'll still vote for him in the November election. And then you have a lot of people saying he obviously doesn't believe that the unborn child is a human being who's valuable, so I'm not going to vote for him. So we're going to see uh, coming up in the election but it's what you're saying here of um, his comment that the pro-life movement had accomplished nothing for decades. That is not true. The fact that um, we got to the point of overturning Roe, that was decades and decades of building to that point. If, let's say, Donald Trump had been elected in 1975, for example, just a couple years after Roe, it would be foolish to think that the exact same outcome would have happened, that it was this one person who accomplished everything when truly it's this. And this is just how the Lord works, too, that he doesn't uh, necessarily act through just one person is the hero, but uses the entire body of Christ uh, to accomplish these victories. And so uh, we we know that uh, the reversal of Roe was the result of states passing bold legislation, including uh Texas with the Texas Heartbeat Act uh, just the year before Roe and trying to build that foundation to get the court, but also the entire population to see that uh, the unborn child is a human being. That is the purpose of uh, pro-life laws and just the pro-life movement entirely, that uh, we want to we wanted to overturn Roe and uh, dismantle that foundation. We wanted the culture to see whenever we're talking about pro-life legislation, the unborn child is a human being with value. Amen. Uh, we're going to go to a quick break. When we come back, I want to wrap this conversation up, but I also want to move on and talk about a very concerning situation, the FACE Act. A couple pro-lifers were arrested Yikes, haven't seen that happen in a long time, and now it seems like it's coming back, but it might be good news. We'll talk about that coming up next. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question. Why is your Protestant Bible four ounces lighter than my Catholic Bible? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, a faulty scale? Nope. Well, maybe it's just the weight of the paper or the cover or the binding or some introductory comments. We wish it were just that simple. No, it's the seven books that got dismissed by team Martin Luther. Secondly, audacity. Audacity allowed Luther and others to extract time-tested truths of Scripture and key letters from the canon. What? Yes, about 1,200 years after the Bible canon was fully established, they rejected seven Old Testament books. Not only that, Luther placed the New Testament books of James and Jude, Hebrews and Revelation in a category called, quote, the disputed books. And thirdly, a pesky comeback. If I were to write a deeply personal letter to my wife regarding our future descendants, don't be taking seven of my choice paragraphs out of that letter. Why? You might be robbing the those future descendants of a little bit of who Papa was. Now, don't you do that. 
Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we're about two hours and ten minutes from landing. Plenty of time for you to say some prayers for the souls in purgatory. Wouldn't it be great if everyone prayed often for those in purgatory? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. And welcome back to the Catholic Drive Time Show. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. It's so good to be on with you today. Praise be to God. It's always good to be here. Despite the fact that crazy things are going on in the news and there might be something insane going on in your world, it's still good to be here. I can always look out, see the sunrise, and be reminded of the rising sun, the Son of God, who rose on a Sunday and sits at the right hand of the Father. That's always something that we can be joyful about. No matter what people do to you or to me, I guarantee you that our Lord wins in the end. I read I read the end of the book. That's a spoiler alert. Uh, but joining us right now is Kim Schwartz with Texas Right to Life. Good morning to you, Kim. Good morning. Praise be to God. It's good to have you on. And, you know, we were just wrapping up a conversation about the whole situation with Donald Trump and him coming out against life. Uh, very, very concerning. And I wanted to just finish that conversation really quickly because my thought on this whole thing was that I, I'm kind of conflicted about how I feel about it. And in terms of like, what do I, what am I thinking of doing? I don't know yet. But one thing that I'm thinking is that Donald Trump really is a people pleaser. That's really all he is. And if he's talking to person A versus person B, He's going to change his mind about something uh, based on whatever he thinks people will like him more for. And I think that that gives us an opportunity to basically if if the pro-life movement just like lobs attacks at Donald Trump, I have a feeling that he's going to turn and should be like, no, 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 no. I'm totally 100 percent pro-life because he just really wants approval. I don't know. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think we saw something like this similar in the 2016 election where um, he would kind of go a little back and forth on this issue. And even recently, um, earlier this year, saying, you know, that we don't have any business regulating abortion at the national level. And then pro-life groups called him out on that. And now um, he just hasn't said whether he's going to sign a a national abortion ban or not um, and what that weak mark would be that he would look for. Um, But we can see, you know, at his past uh, record, even in, I remember one of either the last State of the Union address that he gave or one of the uh, last ones, that he was calling for a national late-term abortion ban at, say, 20 weeks when the child can feel pain. And so it's important to just realize, like, that our politicians at every level, even the presidency, are accountable to us. And so we have to make our voices heard on um, what it is that we're trying to go for. And that includes uh, the value of the unborn child. Whenever we talk about legislation, it's not just for the sake of, okay, let's uh, try to make everybody happy. It's also the the purpose of legislation is an educational tool. That's why we have laws such as the Heartbeat Act to let people know and have this this take place in the cultural conversation that yes, the unborn child has a heartbeat. And uh, I think last time I was on, we talked about how 
uh, in the polling, whenever you see Americans talking about abortion, they'll say, oh, do you support a six-week abortion ban? They'll be like, no, that's way too early. Do you support an abortion ban when the child has a heartbeat? Yeah, absolutely. We shouldn't kill an unborn child who has a heartbeat. Not The people not realizing those are the same thing, that the preborn child does have a heartbeat that early in pregnancy. And so that is uh, in part the purpose of these uh, policies, not just uh, to save lives immediately, and that is extremely important. Like I said, we have 10,000 more children born here in Texas because of our pro-life laws. Um, And we want to see that replicated throughout the country of children being saved from abortion. Yeah, and and you mentioned um, the 20 weeks when the child feels pain. Um, There was a recent study, we talked about it on the show a couple weeks ago, where it said that um, there's there's more research coming out saying that they believe that children can actually feel pain as early as 12 to 14 weeks and that their idea of where pain comes from might be erroneous. And I think that's really interesting, especially since the authors were not pro-life and they their suggestion was that we give them anesthesia before killing them. <laughs> it's like, OK, I I guess that's uh, that's something. At least you recognize they have pain, uh, but kind of crazy to think, oh, yeah, these people have pain. So let's let's give them anesthesia before we kill them. Uh, not quite the right answer, but it is interesting to see that people were we're finding the more research that comes out the more heinous abortion becomes. So that's very interesting. Now, to move over to another topic, the congressman is introducing the Ending Chemical Abortion Act of 2023. Uh, What do we know about this? This actually originates here in Texas, right? Uh, In part. So it's going to be a representative, a congressman from Tennessee, introducing this legislation at the federal level. Um, But we have similar policies in Texas, um, such as Senate Bill 4 from a couple years ago, Um, And just over time, we've made sure that we're targeting the abortion pill. It's becoming more and more uh, ubiquitous, being the primary procedure for abortion nationally. And we see this both in legal ways of uh, more women just going to clinics and getting abortion pills. But also we see this in illegal ways where um, groups are sending abortion pills from overseas. They're smuggling abortion pills across the southern border from uh, Mexico. And so it's really important to highlight how horrible these abortion pills are. So let's focus first on uh, the preborn child, how uh, we talked about the child has a heartbeat. The child at six weeks has uh, brain waves and uh, very early on can feel pain. But we've seen um, this great, this horrible um, just weaponization of the FDA and expanding the use of the abortion pill. And so this has really been a conversation nationally within this last year of um, just how uh, the ma- the media is saying, oh, the abortion pill is great. There's no side effects. It's just like you're more you're worse off taking Tylenol than you are this abortion pill. Uh, And that is extremely untrue. And we see this from the weaponization of the FDA because uh, they basically had approved the abortion pill from the uh, from President Bill Clinton, uh, making that a priority from day one of his administration, literally day one um, and saying, you know, we just we think abortion is so important. Let's just approve this uh, chemical abortion pills as quickly as possible. It doesn't matter what kind of uh, risks might come up. 
And we find actually that there are some severe complications from uh, chemical abortions. And I'm, my phone froze, so I was going to pull them up here in a second. Um, but the rate of complications is about four times higher for abortion pills than it is for surgical abortions. And about one in five women uh, require a follow-up because uh, maybe the abortion pills uh, didn't kill the preborn child or didn't expel the preborn child entirely. And so part of the child's body is still in the woman's body, and that can cause oh sepsis, goodness. all kinds of complications. So it's horrible for the child because the child dies. But also it's bad for the women, and no one is talking about this. And pres- pro-abortion presidential administrations just don't care. And they're even making it easier for women to uh, have these abortion, these chemical abortions um, with President Obama just making the window of availability wider. It was available at seven weeks max, and then he expanded that to 10 weeks max, and that's more dangerous for the woman. And uh, again, the preborn child is more developed. So you can see, too, how um, even if you don't believe life begins at conception, the Further you get into develop fetal development, other more people are like, mm, maybe that's not such a good idea. Um, and then even uh, Joe Biden in 2021 saying that we can have uh, abortion pills mailed, legally mailed, and it doesn't have to require an in-person visit. And again, that's dangerous for the woman because what if she has an ectopic pregnancy, for example? These abortion pills aren't going to do anything, but she's not being uh, screened and actually uh, just... Uh, Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, uh, there's a million reasons why it could be a concern. And, you know, my always, the, the my primary concern is always the child. Uh, but whatever tactic we have to go to try to get it, to get it shut down, uh, obviously the lives of uh, women matter as well. And I think it's very important. Obviously, the life of the, the female baby is also important, too, that nobody wants to talk about. But nonetheless, I want to move over to this topic with the limited time we have left is the D.C. pro-life convictions. Uh, LifeSite News has been following this story, and I've been reading it, and we haven't talked about it yet. But they claim that this can strike down the FACE Act and put an abortionist in jail. Uh, tell me about this, uh, these pro-life convictions. Yeah, we've seen uh, over the last couple months, um, this actually started in 2020, there was a handful of pro-life activists who um, were standing outside of an abortion clinic um, trying to prevent women from going in. This was a very late-term abortion clinic that had um, some a very just sketchy, of, of all the abortion clinics having sketchy histories, this is like up there, um, that they had reports of uh, violating federal law with the Partial Birth Abortion Act. They uh, had um, these these uh, reports of children actually being born alive and left to die after an abortion. And so these pro-life activists had um, even gone into the clinic trying to prevent women from uh, killing their pre-born children. And then uh, they were arrested. And now, though, we see this um, federal uh, weaponization of the FACE Act. So it is true that what those uh, activists had done was illegal. But with the uh, FACE Act, you have you put more power in the hands of the federal government rather than local police authority that usually would handle uh, situations like this. And so you've seen um, about eight pro-life activists convicted. There were a few more who got arrested um, or convicted last uh, within the last couple of weeks. And so you've just seen uh, the FACE Act being weaponized uh, by the federal government. And you have um, congressmen, such as Congressman Chip Roy from Texas, filing legislation to repeal the FACE Act because they rightly point out 
that uh, if there's some kind of dispute over uh, trespassing or anything like that, that that's better handled at the local level rather than putting the hands in, putting the power in the hands of the federal government. So we're going to see how that evolves with the FACE Act and if that is, um, uh, you know, the proper response being at the federal level rather than the local level and um Again, with other situations that we've seen, like if you remember Mark Houck from about a year ago, the FBI raided his home and arrested him in front of his family at gunpoint. Um, that had all been investigated whenever he had a dispute outside of an abortion clinic. That was all, already investigated by local police, and local police said, okay, this is not really an issue. Like somebody mm-hmm. uh, was attacking him, and then he shoved them back, um, and then that was it. But then the federal government was like, you know what, we're going to make this a bigger deal than it has to be. And yeah, yeah. I mean, we were very familiar with the Mark Houck case because uh, we actually, with the Guadalupe Raider Network, had a show with Mark Houck uh, yeah. was in and he, uh, so he, we were very intimately involved in that, in that situation. Um, and it was uh, crazy to think that it would send the FBI into uh, federal agents breaking down your door, not literally breaking down your door, but practically breaking down your door, arm uh, guns drawn to arrest somebody for, for pushing someone. Yeah. Um, this seems out of proportion, if you ask me. It's very interesting. But, uh, Brent, we have about uh, just a few seconds left in this hour. What are your thoughts on the, the FACE Act? You know, it's important to remember, first of all, uh, these people committed an act of civil disobedience. Mm-hmm. Um, it, that is in a great tradition in American history. They uh, went and violated a law related to the activity that they opposed. The real question, two real questions. First of all, as our guest has eloquently pointed out, why is this a federal issue? Well, we know why it's a federal issue, because it gets special treatment by a dominant political party. The other issue, though, which is even worse, is the punishment is grossly excessive. Also, where is the prosecution for the other part of the FACE Act? for all of the attacks on churches in the United States. Yeah, we'll have to talk about that more in the future. We all know children have a natural innocence and a sense of wonder. Yet our world is full of distractions that can pull families in the wrong direction. But with the help of God and a church family, your children can grow in the security of faith, hope, and love. Weekly Mass provides that critical faith foundation needed in life. So if your family hasn't been to Mass in a while, we'd like to invite you home. Discover more at CatholicsComeHome.org. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. What is a patron saint? The classic professions such as soldiers or doctors have patron saints who represent the ideal of soldiering or doctoring. And yet so many of the trades and crafts on which the modern world depends do not have an ideal figure. There is no patron saint of plumbers, for instance, and G.K. Chesterton says there should be. It would be a revolution, for it would inspire each individual plumber to consider that there was once a perfect being who actually did plumb. In the meantime, what do plumbers and the rest of us do? Chesterton says, keep before your eyes the supreme adventure of virtue. If you're kind, think of the man who was kinder than you. That's what is meant by having a patron saint. Want more than a minute? Visit us at Chesterton.org. 
Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we're about two hours and ten minutes from landing. Plenty of time for you to pray for religious vocations. Wouldn't it be great if everyone prayed daily for vocations to the religious life? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. I worked in pro baseball for a long time, and we play on Sundays. And it was an easy excuse. I took the easy out and just didn't go to Mass. Got caught up in that whole selfishness, that whole, you know, um, I can do it all. The times when I was struggling were the times I needed God the most. And now that uh, I've come back and accepted God, my world has completely changed. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for any reason, visit catholicscomehome.org today. You're tuned to KSHJ, 1430 AM, Houston, Texas. All Catholic, all truth, all the time. I somehow tangled myself up in my headphones. And so I don't know why I'm telling you this. You can't see it if you're listening on the radio. But if you're watching online, you can see me just like struggling to try to not choke myself. I don't know how I did this. This is quite impressive, honestly, I would say. Uh, Not many people can do what I'm doing here. I don't know if anybody would want to do what I'm doing here, but nonetheless, it is, in fact, unique. But I I think it's it's great today. We're going to have Adam Bly on in just one moment because (laughs) Adam Bly comes on every Tuesday to talk about his show that comes out every Saturday at 10 a.m. Central, The Spirit World. Uh, but good morning to you, Adam. Good morning. Adam, It's uh, I'm really happy to have you on today. I'm always happy to have you on, but especially today because it's really funny. I went to go have a dinner or lunch, rather, with my goddaughter, and she was telling me how she is um, working on writing a fiction book. And part of her book is about uh, – is it involves um, spiritual warfare. And she was asking me questions about angels and demons, and I was doing my best to answer them. And she asked me a couple questions I thought were really interesting that I was like, huh, I don't know. I got I to gotta ask Adam these questions. These are really good questions. And so I wanted to uh, bring that up to you. Uh, but so praise be to God. I'm very providential. Adam, the, here is one question she asked me. And I thought this was interesting. And I, I will give you my answer, what I told her, and you tell me uh, where I'm wrong and how I can uh, give a better answer. She asked me, what are the demons' relationship with each other? Do they hate one another? Do they fight with one another? And I was said that they are clearly have a hierarchy, or Lewis says a, a lowerarchy, and they probably despise one another, but they're probably obedient to one another. They probably don't really fight. They're probably obedient. Uh, but I'm not sure. Adam, what say you? Well, um, that's an interesting question. So God's kingdom is based on love, and the devil's kingdom is based on fear. So we serve God because we love God. We want God to love us. We we get some foretaste of God's love in this life. Amongst the demons, they only obey their superiors within their system, their hierarchy, because they fear them. So they hate their superiors, they hate themselves, 
They hate those that are below them in the hierarchy. They, everybody just hates. They know that they're fallen. They know that they lost heaven and gave things up. Um, they are stuck in that decision because it's a permanent choice. Um, but they also are angry at themselves for doing that, at each other, at Satan. But more than being angry, they're fearful because their kingdom is run on fear and punishment. There's no love. There's no rewards. There's no comfort. There's no attaboys. There's no camaraderie. There's none of that. The devil does not want loving disciples. He only wants slaves. And he can only relate to a being in terms of it being a slave. So if they if they if that's if that, if that's how it works, what does that mean in terms of their obedience? Do they do they ever resist each other? Do they resist each other's wills or do they basically have this fear to the point that they're just completely obedient? And if not, what kind of a punishment exists in this in this way? Right. So there's a a clue, you know, first off Adrian, not all of this is completely revealed. A lot of what, you know, I just said you could arrive to that by reason, I think, pretty easily, and I think Thomas would, would back you up on it. But it's a lot of experience of seeing these creatures in the exorcisms and hearing what they say about each other themselves and all of that. And they explicitly say they're afraid of being punished for their failure when they're cast out. Um, okay, so... Their sister... Yeah, so Adrian... Sorry, I ran off on a on a tangent there. Give me okay. that question again, real quick. Yeah. So the the question was, um, in what way? I guess it was two questions. One, what was the, uh, how are they punished? In what way does punishment yeah. exist? And two, if there is a if they're built upon a hierarchy of fear, and mm-hmm. do they ever rebel against each other or or resist each okay. other's wills? Yes. Okay. So a number of threads there. Um, so there's a clue in what Jesus said when people accused him of casting demons out by Beelzebub, that he was in league with a demon, because at the time the Jews were were kind of upset and confused because no man has authority over unclean spirits. In the Jewish worldview and, and theological view, only God can cast demons out. So when they saw Jesus casting them out, not in the name of Solomon or Elijah or some holy figure or in the name of God, when he saw them just simply saying, leave him or her, they said, well, there must be a spirit connected with him that that's making this possible. So when they accused him of that, what did he say? He said, well, if I cast demons out by Beelzebub, then the devil's kingdom is divided and a, a kingdom that is divided will fall. So that was the clue that the kingdom is not divided. There is not significant rebellion within that kingdom. It is working. Uh, but it works only based on that fear and punishment. Now, what's the form of that punishment? We don't know exactly because, you know, we have some clues about God's punishment for the fallen angels scripturally, but we don't have a description of the devil's punishment uh, for the angels that are under him that he meets out. We have indications at the exorcisms. We've had them say, you know, please don't cast me out. Uh, I'm going to be punished for my failure. I don't want to go back to him. You know, they'll say, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go back to Satan and be punished. They'll say things like this. And then, you know, we've actually had them say at a session when a session was starting and the exorcist said, well, are you so-and-so from last time? And then explicitly saying, no, 
he was cast out. He's still being punished for his failure. Wow. I am a different one. And this is, you know, a week or two weeks later. Now, time is different, of course, in, in the spiritual. But we don't know the form of that punishment, but we do know that they are terribly afraid of it. Uh, they really don't want it. And so, you know, the demons in in a, uh, they are in a difficult spot during an exorcism because they're between, of course, when Jesus says you have to go, you have to go, that's it, he's God. Um, but they're facing, you know, basically some type of punishment when they fail. So again, it comes back to, they know it was a dumb choice, but they can't undo that choice because unlike us, they had knowledge to the end of time of the consequences when they rebelled at the beginning. So they can never say, I now understand, I wanna repent. Uh, it's a permanent choice, but there's a lot of self-hatred and hatred of each other because they're just basically stuck in a condition where, you know, they're heading towards a brick wall, which is the final judgment when they're going to be cast into the lake of fire. They've got Satan behind them, prodding them forward and threatening them. And then they've got the prayers of the church militant and the authority of the church and the sacramentals and the saints and all of this coming at them from the front. Um, so don't feel sorry for them, but this is partly why they're so upset with themselves is they put themselves in that position. Yeah, that's really interesting. And one of the other things that I was asked was uh, what books are there? Like, certainly there are amazing books about these, this topic. For instance, uh, there's a great book called Hauntings, Possessions, and Exorcisms by this guy named Adam Bly. I don't know if you know him. Uh, but there's uh, there's other things that there are people are looking for, which are uh, kind of fiction stories that are accurate. Are, does that exist anywhere? Whenever I was trying to think of any, the only thing that I could think of was I, I said the screw tape letters. Um, I said Necromancer by Father Hugh Benson. And that's pretty much it in terms of books. In terms of movies, I uh, said the, that Nefarious that just came out, and that was the only thing I can think of. Is there anything in the fiction realm that you would say, these are decent uh, or not bad uh, representations of the spiritual uh, warfare? I've never read the, or heard of the book Necromancer, so I'm not sure about that one. But I can tell you in general the answer is no. And the reason is... The fiction writers, uh, they aren't exorcists. They aren't the people that work in this ministry because all those people are extremely busy and they're generally not writers. And the fiction world, Hollywood, you know, writer projects, they contact people like me or the exorcists that are known to the public frequently and say, you know, explain all this to me. I'm trying to write a fiction book. They basically want us to kind of coach them through and spend hours and hours and hours and hours teaching them everything so they can exploit that information to write a book and, and profit from it. Nobody has time for that. Mm. Um, it would take a tremendous amount of time to convey years of experience. Imagine going to, you know, a, a medical doctor and saying, explain to me how, how you do surgery and everything about it so I can write this book about it. Like the doctor right. doesn't have time to do that. Um, so basically the fiction that's out there doesn't have access to the real information is what I'm saying. Mm. And so you really can't rely on the fiction as far as I know. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And yeah, I don't, I'm not sure about um, Necromancer. I've heard good things about it, but never heard of uh, anybody who is actually an expert in these topics analyze what it said. Uh, Father Hugh Benson, um, Anglican convert to Catholicism. But 
Yeah, I think that's very interesting. In terms of um, nonfiction books, uh, what would you recommend? I think uh, all of your books would be definitely worthy of reading, but uh, what would you recommend? Well, <clears throat> honestly, Adrian, I would recommend not spending too much time on this topic. Mm. Um, I wouldn't fill your mind with these this imagery, these ideas, these words. I would only learn enough about it to understand how it works to avoid falling victim yourself. So understand what is necromancy, understand what are first commandment violations, understand what's what's kind of the thinking behind these laws that God put out that said avoid these things to avoid these spirits. Once you know that, I really would leave it alone and focus on the positive and put Jesus at the center of your spiritual life instead of developing a library of books on exorcism. Your your spirituality becomes a little distorted if you give too much time to this topic. Now, if you've had a brush with the occult or the demonic, or you're concerned that maybe you're playing with something that might actually be bad, you've got an intuition that that these practices or whatever this um, hobby you're involved in is, is there's something wrong here, then I would research it enough to, you know, hear some legitimate stories about those practices and what it led to. Uh, to maybe start getting yourself out of that. And if you're entangled with the demonic, learn a little bit about, you know, deliverance and freedom um, in order to learn how to approach your local priest, approach your diocese, Mm -hmm. um, what changes can you make in your life. But if you're just a regular, reasonably devout person that isn't having problems, I wouldn't make this the center of your spirituality. Amen. Amen. You know that we have about one minute left in our conversation. I, I wanted to ask I, a friend was telling me recently that they went on a trip, a, a school trip with uh, with their uh, student aide, and they when they were sharing a room, they kind of started being really strange. That they, the whole trip they would um, talk in their sleep, and then but towards the end of the trip, they she was she would say, "I can't sleep in front of mirrors because then I act weird." And whenever the one day they were slept in a room where the mirror was just had to be in front of the beds, they she started acting in a very weird way, saying uh, Satan in her in her sleep and sleep talking, saying die and things like that. And she was asking me about that. And I was like, I honestly have no idea. I could be just sleep talking just to another level. Her voice changed, things like that. Should someone be concerned about that? What do you do? Yeah, it's tough to know for sure what's going on there. Um, Could be different things. But if the person was engaged in black magic involving mirrors, and there are practices involving mirrors, you know, blacked out mirrors, um, regular mirrors, there are things if they played around with that kind of black magic, being around mirrors could kind of excite or activate the attachment that they form through the black magic. So, yeah, I would basically, I wouldn't be... I don't want to break up friendships or anything. I would pray for the person, number one, maybe encourage them to talk to a priest about, you know, this this problem they're having being on mirrors. But I also wouldn't put myself in a position of, of sleeping in the same room with them when that's going on. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, thank you very much. If people like what they heard here or want to know more, uh, 10 a.m. Central, The Spirit World with Adam Bly every Saturday at 10 a.m. Central. God bless you. God love you, Adam. God bless you, Adrian, and God bless your listeners.
And we're going to go into our game show, Fear and Trembling. If you'd like to call in, that number, 877-757-9424. That's also the phone number to call in an Adam show every Saturday, 877-757-9424. If you'd like to be a participant in our show, 877-757-9424. We're giving away prizes you could win. Just call in 877-757-9424. We'll be right back with Fear and Trembling right after this. Are you feeling lost in a sea of overwhelm? Hi, this is Coach Felicity with Dan Tall Today Coaching Minute. Many people find themselves challenged with overwhelm. Too many things to take care of, too many people to please, too much work to do. And in spite of their best efforts, they continue to fall behind with this overwhelm coming in like a flood. But that's not the abundant life that Jesus wants you to live. That's why Stand Tall Today has experienced professional coaches that will assist you in dialing down that overwhelm. They'll help you get a grasp on where you are and to create a plan that enables you to take bite-sized steps of action so you can live an abundant life. Why not take your first step right now? Go to StandTallToday.com and find a coach that is just right for you. Because life is simply too short to stay lost in a sea of overwhelm. This is Coach Felicity with your Stand Tall Today Coaching Minute. So many of us carry such heavy burdens. You're crazy! Deep within, we struggle. Come on, babe. Let's be fun. Because sin separates us from God. But thanks to the grace of confession, God compassionately listens, forgives, and sets us free. So if it's been a while since you've been to confession or mass, come home and experience a fresh start. Visit CatholicsComeHome.org. Welcome to another round of Fear and Trembling, (laughs) the Catholic trivia game show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. That's the number to call to be part of our game show, Fear and Trembling, where we give out prizes and you could be a winner. How do you win? It's very simple. All you got to do is pick up the phone and dial 877-757-9424. 877-757-9424. We always take the first caller. Now, you may be asking, uh, what am I listening to? What's going on here? I've never heard this before. Well, it's very simple. You're listening to the Fear and Trembling Game Show where we give out prizes and you could win. How do you do so? Well, and right in front of me, I have three Catholic trivia questions. The trick is I'm not going to ask you the trivia questions. No, instead, I'm going to ask Brent the questions. Brent's going to give me an answer, and every right answer goes into the coffee cup of Divine Providence to win this week's prize And this week's prize is coming from our friends at Bishop Sheen Today. Bishop Sheen Today is generously donated uh, some books that he will be giving away to a lucky winner. And maybe, just maybe, we'll throw in some special goodies from the Catholic Drive Time team as well. So make sure you tune in and call in this week. And if you don't get on today, well, make sure that you are tuned in for the rest of the week 
because we'd love to have you. That number, 877-757-9424. If you don't get on today, write that number down, and you can call in tomorrow because there's more opportunities to win this week. And now I do want to mention before, we did have a caller on the line at the moment, and we'll come to that caller in just a second, but our dear friend uh, Tony with Kim, you remember Kim and Tony, they're long-term callers. They called in, um, they wanted to, Tony commented on our Facebook feed and said, can you talk about the visitors that came to the studio? I think he's talking about himself. Uh, he's saying that uh, him and uh, his, his mom and dad came by the studio last week and we were able to chat. It was a great time. So praise be to God. Uh, we love it when people come by. And so you're always welcome. Let me know. You can always find my email at grnonline.com forward slash CDT. If you go there, then you're going to certainly email me. And I'd love to have you come to the studio or just give me your feedback. We'd love to uh, interact with our listeners. Uh, so God bless you. Now, uh, joining us right now is, I'm trying to see, is it Uton? Can you hear me? Hello? Yes. So who am I speaking with? Uh, Denise. Denise. Oh, that's a... Uh, Denise. There you go. Denise. Uh, Denise, where are you Denise, calling in from? Yeah. Denisha. Plano. Denisha, is that correct? Right, with a D, like Bennett. Okay. Denisha. Uh, praise be to God. It's good to have you on. You're calling in from Plano, Texas. Uh, we, Plano, Texas. I don't think we've ever had a caller from Plano, Texas. I think you might be the first Plano, Texas caller. Oh, that's good. I'm just dropping someone off at school. Oh, praise yeah. be to God. Well, hopefully they have a great day at school. We'll be praying that uh, they have a wonderful day. Now, Thank you. St. Mark's. St. Mark's Plano. in Plano, Texas. Awesome. Praise be to God. We, we love our Catholic schools. Uh, now, Denisha, they, well, have you listened to the show before? Do you know, are you familiar with how the game works? Uh, yes. Perfect. Perfect. And you know the game can be tricky. However, it's especially tricky this week because uh, nobody knows just how Brent will answer. Will he be tricky? Will he be easy? Uh, we don't know. And so it's going to be your job to discern. Are you ready to play? Uh, yes. All right. Let's jump into it. Uh, question number one for you, Brent. Are you ready? I'm ready. You're ready. Are you ready, Freddy? I'm I ready. I don't even know who Freddy is, to be honest. Uh, do you know where that comes from? Who the heck is Freddy? I don't know. I don't know Freddy. Yeah, me I don't either. know any Freds. I know one Fred. I, I, yeah, I only know one Fred, actually. That's... Huh. That's kind of... Anyway, side tangent. Question on the board. Is there a jail in the Vatican? Adrian, Christianity is about love, mm. mercy, true, and forgiveness. I agree. When there's a criminal justice problem in the Vatican, assuming it's not some headline type issue, in which case it would be handled by the Italian system, um, you get a penitence the way you would when you go to confession. Oh. So there is no need for a jail in the Vatican. That makes so sense. So there is no jail in the Vatican. I am following your line of reasoning there. All right. Let's see. So uh, saith the lawyer. So saith the lawyer. Do you trust lawyers, Denisha? I don't know. Uh, Denisha, 15 seconds on the clock. The question on the board is, is there a jail in the Vatican? Well, our friend attorney Brent Haynes says... Well, of course not. The Vatican is Catholic, and Catholics believe in mercy, forgiveness. So if there is a really big problem, they go to Italy and they take care of it. But most of the time, they just give them a penance and let them loose. Is that true, Denisha from Plano, Texas? 
Um, no, I think there is a jail there. Maybe an old one, maybe not a used one, but I think there's a jail there. All right, let's see. Survey says that is correct, Anisha. Praise be to God. You got it. There is, in fact, a jail in the Vatican. Yes, you can actually get thrown in the Vatican jail. Um, I have not done so. I have not been put in the Vatican jail. Praise be to God. Uh, hopefully that doesn't, it never comes down to that. Uh, but praise be to God, Anisha, you're doing great. Are you ready for question number two? Sure. Now, I have to warn you, this one <laughs> could be tricky. Okay, are you ready? Yes, I am. Let's do it. Let's do it. Question number two for you, Brent. Whew. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, I'm struggling. I'm struggling with this one. All right. What is latitudinarian? What is a latitudinarian? Latitudinarianism. Or latitudinarianism. Well, latitudinarian, latitudinarianism is a doctrine mm-hmm. or sort of a philosophy, a belief. Uh, basically, uh, the short answer is it is a false tolerance in religious matters. Oh. And mostly we use that to describe certain beliefs in Protestantism where they want to have, you know, how a lot of Protestants want to discard tradition. You know, they don't want to do things the way it's been done in years or centuries past. Um, so, have you heard the phrase, uh, we're going to give you a little latitude, or we're going to give you a lot of latitude? Yeah. Same concept. Same. Latitudinarianism. Okay. Uh, false tolerance in religious matters. All right, Denisha. The question on the board is, can you say latitudinarianism? Uh, no, I'm just kidding. You don't have to say it. I'll say it. Uh, the question on the board is, Denisha, 15 seconds on the clock. What is latitudinarianism? Well, Brent Haynes, our attorney-in-chief here, our attorney at law, he says, it's a false tolerance in religious matters. Kind of like how you say you give a lot of latitude to someone. Oh, you give a lot of latitude in religious matters is latitudinarianism. What say you, Denisha, from Plano, Texas? Um. Okay, I'll go with that, yes. She's going to go with that. All right, let's see. Survey says... That is correct! Way to go, Denisha! I honestly don't know if I would have got that one. That That was... I don't think I've ever heard that word before. Did you hear that? Do you know that word ahead of time, Brent? I no, heard the I word. I don't use it. Before, but... Well, praise be to God. Uh, the full answer in its full in its entirety is a false tolerance in religious matters, chiefly used to describe those tendency in Protestantism, which pushed for freedom to disregard or discard traditional faith and practices. These tendencies merged into modernism. Uh, praise be to God, Denisha. Are you ready for question number three? Yes. All right. Now this one, I think. I think it'll be easy. I think you're going to nail this one. Brent, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Uh, what one part of the mass is considered absolutely essential? Adrian, if there's no consecration, there's no mass. There's no consecration. There is no mass is what so you're saying. So consecration is the essential part of the mass. All right. I, I was going to say it was a shaking hands. That was... Like you can't get rid of that. I know that's your favorite part. It's my favorite part. It's my favorite part. I love shaking hands. I run around the church and shake every person's hand, um, and then immediately use some hand sanitizer and ew. Uh, all right, or maybe it's the holding hands during our father. That's my favorite. Uh, Denisha, fifteen seconds on the clock. The question on the board is: What 
one part of the mass is considered essential. Brent Haynes seems to think it's the consecration. I don't know why you would think that. Essential mm-hmm. consecration. Uh, what say you, Denisha, from Plano, Texas? I would say in this year, the year of the Eucharist, yes. All right, let's see. Survey says... That is correct, Denisha. Praise be to God. You got it. Three for three. Perfect score. You nailed it, Denisha. How do you feel? Uh, Great. Thank you. Praise be to God. You know, I was thinking... You know, there's uh, the stories of those um, those saints who are thrown in prison and they were able to sneak some wine and some water and they were able to do the consecration. But they obviously they weren't able to do the entirety of the mass. And I was like, oh, I guess that would be the essential part of the mass. They did the consecration. Uh, so praise be to God, Denisha, you did wonderful. Um, but make sure you stay on hold because we're going to get our contact information. But have a blessed day. All right. All right, Denisha, we're going to put you on hold. Don't go anywhere. Uh, we're going to make sure where Taylor is going to get your contact information. So if we draw your name on Friday, we can send you that prize. God bless you. God love you. God bless you. Thank you very much. And that's going to do it for the radio side. Um, Brent, what did you think? The uh, latitudinarianism? I think that I can't even I can barely say that word. I, I looked at that question and I thought, well, this is a good learning opportunity for people listening to Catholic radio. Yeah, it was certainly a learning opportunity to me. And, I'm going to remember that for now on. And for people working in Catholic radio. Exactly, exactly. I was like, okay, okay, I can... I learned something new today, so praise be to God. But if you'd like to join us in the after show, you're welcome to do so. Just hop on YouTube, Facebook, Rumble, uh, not Twitter, because it's not working right now, but we'll get that figured out. And you can join us there. Leave a comment. We'd love to interact with you directly. Whatever it is you want to talk about, um, whether it be something we talked about on the radio, whether we talk about something completely different, whether you want to talk about breakfast, uh, we would love to interact with you directly. So hop on our social media feeds, and we'll definitely start up a chat. But if not, we'll see you back here tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern, across the Guadalupe Radio Network and Catholic Spirit Radio. Uh, God bless you. God love you. And we'll see you in just a moment. But remember, <laughs> despite the fact the world is going crazy and whatever concerns that are going on in your life, Christ is risen. Truly, he is risen. Viva Cristo Rey. We'll see you very soon. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. The Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. At Our Lady of Corpus Christi Chapel, home of the Soul Community. Today we celebrate the memorial of Saints Cosmas and Damien, martyrs. We offer the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass for all those who are joining us on Guadalupe Radio online and those here present. 
At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess him, King of glory now. Tis the Father's pleasure, we should call him Lord, who from the beginning was the mighty Word. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Lord be with you. My brothers and sisters, let us acknowledge our sins, and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to Almighty God, and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and what I have failed to do. Through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault, therefore I ask Blessed Mary, Ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Let us pray. May you be magnified, O Lord, by the revered memory of your saints Cosmos and Damien. For with providence beyond words, you have conferred on them everlasting glory, and on us, your unfailing help. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the book of Ezra. King Darius issued an order to the officials of west of Euphrates that the governor and the elders of the Jews continue the work on that house of God. They are to rebuild it on its former site. I also issue this decree concerning your dealings with, the, with these elders of the Jews in the rebuilding of that house of God. From the royal revenue, the taxes of west of Euphrates, that these men be repaid for their expenses in full and without delay. I, Darius, have issued this decree. Let it be carefully executed. The elders of the Jews continued to make progress in the building, supported by the message of the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, son of Edo. They finished the building according to the command of the God of Israel and the decrees of Cyrus and Darius, and of Artaxerus, king of Persia. They completed this house on the third day of the month of Adar, in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. The children of Israel, priests, Levites, and the other returned exiles celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. For the dedication of this house of God, they offered 100 bulls, 200 rams, and 400 lambs, together with twelve he-goats as a sin offering for all Israel, in keeping with the number of the tribes of Israel. Finally, they set up the priests in their classes and the Levites in their divisions 
for the service of God in Jerusalem, as is prescribed in the Book of Moses. The exiles kept the Passover on the fourteenth day of the first month. The Levites, every one of whom had purified himself for the occasion, sacrificed the Passover for the rest of the exiles, for their brethren the priests, and for themselves. The Word of the Lord. Let us go rejoicing to the house of the Lord. Let us go rejoicing to the house of the Lord. I rejoiced because they said to me, We will go up to the house of the Lord, and now we have set foot within your gates, O Jerusalem. Let us go rejoicing to the house of the Lord. Jerusalem, built as a city with compact unity, to it the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord. Let us go rejoicing to the house of the Lord. According to the decree for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord, in it are set up judgment seats, seats for the house of David. Let us go rejoicing to the house of the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. The Lord be with you. <clears throat> A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. To you, o Lord. The mother of Jesus and his brothers came to him, but were unable to join him because of the crowd. He was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside, and they wish to see you. He said to them in reply, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and act on it. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. In this very brief gospel, Jesus tells us there are two important things when it comes to him, and that is perseverance and generosity. You wouldn't necessarily come, come away with that from the gospel, but <clears throat> Jesus and his mother and his brothers want to come close to him. There are, there's a big crowd that they can't get to him, or maybe they were just sitting on the outside waiting for him for him when he was finished, so they could get close to him. But they want to be close to him. They want to have, like we, we want to have, we would have, want to have the front seats to be able to listen to Jesus, to be close to him. It's interesting because we, we joke about it in the Catholic Church that everywhere else we want the front row seats except in the church, we all want to sit in the back row. <laughs> but we want to be close to Jesus, and we can be close to him. It doesn't matter if we're in the front row or in the back. The Holy Sacrifice of the Mass or Adoration or Jesus in the Tabernacle is there. And we can be close to him because being close to him is really having our lives more conformed to his word that is to him that's what it means to be close to jesus not physically present we can be so if we're, if we're sitting in the front row of the church we can be more, more physically present 
when I was a young, a young, young kid, I wanted to be an altar server. I didn't start till I was in high school. But anyway, because they put me up there one time when I was, I was so scared, I didn't know what I was doing, and they didn't train me very well. So that was the past. But anyway, the reason why I wanted to be an altar server is because I wanted to be close to what was going on in the altar. That, we, that desire of our hearts to want to be close to Jesus. But then, as Jesus says, who are my mother and my brothers? Who are those that are not only, of course, by blood related, close to me? Um, not even those who are sitting in the front row listening to my words, but rather those who conform their life to me, to mine. And that happens, Jesus says elsewhere, of course, as I mentioned, through perseverance. You know, blessed are those who yield great harvest through perseverance. That's what our, that word has to do with us, as it affects us, as it calls us sometimes to change, sometimes to rejoice, but always to conform our life to Christ. Uh, it, uh, it, it, it sort of it, it invites us to persevere in that, in doing that. Sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes it's a long road in order for our life to be more conformed to Jesus. But if we stick with it, you know, we, will, we eventually, with God's grace and our effort, the little bit that, that that is, our life will be more conformed to his. But also generosity, that we give ourselves generously striving to conform our life to, the, to Christ to those words, the words that he gives us. How is it that the Lord is calling us today? If I give myself generously to doing that, I will, it will yield fruit. But look at the first reading today. Um, the, ex, the, the Israelites have come back from exile. That's sort of, sort of been the readings. It's interesting because you, when you, you look at a lot of scripture studies, not much is mentioned about what happens with the Israelites after they come back from exile. They come back from exile, they build the temple, and everything seems, seems to be okay. Prophecy seems to cease for about two or three hundred years, and all of a sudden John the Baptist shows up on the scene. We don't always quite know what all was going on in that time, but what we do see in that reading is that the, that the Jews are responding to the prophecy, the prophetic words of Haggai and Zechariah to build the temple and to complete it. When they first got back to Jerusalem, they, they didn't really build the temple at first. They just sort of sat around, got their own houses in order, and then just kind of were waiting, I think, for something to happen. I don't know what. But it was the prophets who were saying, you know, you need to start building the house. You know, how can you live in your, your, your nice houses? Look at the, the temple of God. It's in, it's in shambles. You need to start building. And so they did. They responded generously to that word. And in fact, built the temple in a very, uh, rebuilt the temple rather, in a very short time. That hopefully is what happens in our hearts. That generosity of our, of our spirit and our perseverance will yield a great harvest, a great fruit, so that our life may be con more conformed to the word of God, who is Jesus. bring our prayers and petitions before our Heavenly Father, who is always so gracious to hear us in our needs. We pray for the Holy Church of God, that all of us, striving to be true and more transparent Christians, would conform our life more deeply to Christ his, and his word. Let us pray to the Lord. 
pray for those who suffer persecution in proclaiming the gospel of Christ. May they be faithful. Let us pray to the Lord. Through the intercession of Saints Cosmas and Damien, let us pray for all physicians, for all those who, who help to heal us physically, and all those who are the spiritual physicians, that they may help to bring us health and, uh, and well-being. Let us pray to the Lord. We pray for all those who are sick and who are suffering. They may be strengthened in their faith and consoled in their spirit. Let us pray to the Lord. Let us pray for all those who have died. May they rest in peace. Let us pray to the Lord. For our own intentions, for those we hold in the silence of our hearts, those who are joining us online through Guadalupe Radio, let us pray to the Lord. Heavenly Father, hear the prayers we bring before you this day, confident that you hear and answer us. In Jesus' name, amen. Blessed, O Lord, are you, O Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the bread we offer you. Fruit of the earth and work of human hands will become for us the bread of life. Blessed be God. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the wine we offer you. Fruit of the vine and work of human hands will become our spiritual drink. Blessed be God forever. Pray, dearly beloved, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. In honor of the precious death of your just ones, O Lord, we come to offer that sacrifice from which all martyrdom draws its origin through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. <clears throat> Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly right and just our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere to give you thanks, Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God. For you are glorified when your saints are praised. Their very sufferings are but wonders of your might. In your mercy you give ardor to their faith. To their endurance you grant firm resolve. And in their struggle, the victory is yours through Christ our Lord. Therefore, all creatures of heaven and earth sing a new song in adoration. And we with all the hosts of angels cry out, and without end we acclaim. Sanctus, 
Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabahot, Pleni Sunceli et Terra, Gloria Tua, Hosanna in excelsis, Benedictus, qui venit in nomine Domini, Hosanna in excelsis. To you, therefore, most merciful Father, we make humble prayer and petition through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, that you accept and bless these gifts, these offerings, these holy and unblemished sacrifices, which we offer you firstly for your holy Catholic Church. Be pleased to grant her peace, to guard, unite, and govern her throughout the whole world, together with your servant Francis, our Pope, and Michael, our Bishop, and all those who, holding to the truth, hand on the Catholic and apostolic faith. Remember, Lord, your servants. and all gathered here whose faith and devotion are known to you. For them we offer you this sacrifice of praise, or they offer it for themselves and all who are dear to them, for the redemption of their souls and hope of health and well-being, and paying their homage to you, the eternal God, living and true. In communion with those whose memory we venerate, especially the glorious ever-Virgin Mary, Mother of our God and Lord, Jesus Christ, and blessed Joseph, her spouse, your blessed apostles and martyrs, Peter and Paul, Andrew, James, John, Thomas, James, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Simon, and Jude, Linus, Cletus, Clement, Sixtus, Cornelius, Cyprian, Lawrence, Chrysogonus, John and Paul, Cosmas, and Damian, and all your saints. We ask that through their merits and prayers in all things we may be defended by your protecting help. Therefore, Lord, we pray graciously accept this oblation of our service, that of your whole family. Order our days in your peace and command that we be delivered from eternal damnation and counted among the flock of those you have chosen. Be pleased, O God, we pray, to bless, acknowledge, and approve this offering in every respect. Make it spiritual and acceptable so that it may become for us the body and blood of your most beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. On the day before he was to suffer, he took bread in his holy and venerable hands. And with eyes raised to heaven, to you, O God, as Almighty Father, giving you thanks. He said the blessing, broke the bread, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body, which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice. He took, this, he took this precious chalice in his holy and venerable hands, and once more giving you thanks, he said the blessing and gave the chalice to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. The mystery of faith, we proclaim your death, O Lord, and profess your resurrection. 
until you come again. Therefore, O Lord, as we celebrate the memorial of the blessed passion, the resurrection from the dead, the glorious ascension into heaven of Christ, your Son, our Lord, we, your servants and your holy people, offer to your glorious majesty from the gifts that you have given us, this pure victim, this holy victim, this spotless victim, the holy bread of eternal life and the chalice of everlasting salvation. Be pleased to look upon these offerings with a serene and kindly countenance and to accept them as once you were pleased to accept the gifts of your servant Abel the just, the sacrifice of Abraham our father in faith, and the offering of your high priest Melchizedek, a holy sacrifice, a spotless victim. In humble prayer we ask you, Almighty God, command that these gifts be borne by the hands of your holy angel to your altar on high in the sight of your divine majesty, so that all of us who through this participation at the altar receive the most holy body and blood of your Son, may be filled with every grace and heavenly blessing. Remember also, Lord, your servants who have gone before us with the sign of faith and rest in the sleep of peace. Grant them, O Lord, we pray, and all who sleep in Christ a place of refreshment, light, and peace. Do us also, your servants, who those sinners hope in your abundant mercies, graciously grant some share in fellowship with your holy apostles and martyrs, with John the Baptist, Stephen, Matthias, Barnabas, Ignatius, Alexander, Marcellinus, Peter, Felicity, Perpetua, Agatha, Lucy, Agnes, Cecilia, Anastasia, and all your saints. Admit us, we beseech you, into their company, not weighing our merits, but granting us your pardon through Christ our Lord, through whom you continue to make all these good things, O Lord. You sanctify them, fill them with life, bless them, and bestow them upon us. Through him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. At the Savior's command, informed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church, and graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. The peace of the Lord be with you always. The suffrage of the sign of peace. Agnus Dei, qui tollis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, qui tollis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, 
Quitoris peccata mundi, dona nobis pace. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy you should enter under my roof. Only say the word, and my soul shall be healed. See how, the rich, how rich is the saint's reward from God. They died for Christ and will live forever. For those unable to receive communion and those joining us online and through Guadalupe Radio, let us pray together the act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. Let us pray. Preserve in us your gift, O Lord, and may what we have received at your hands as we commemorate the martyrs, saints Cosmos and Damien, bring us healing, salvation, and peace through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go in peace, glorifying the Lord by your life. Thanks be to God. Hail, holy queen enthroned above, O Maria. Hail, mother of mercy and of love, O
Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, thrust into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Prayer of Deliverance Almighty God and Father, we beg thee through the intercession and help of the archangels St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary, we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord, amen. Celebrating the culture of life, this is the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Tuned right here on KSHP.